You're listening to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans. If you want to have guarantees, you have to buy a washing machine. Match either we win or we learn, and today we learn. Abdacha, Austin, shot at his It's in field to Mane, 25 yards out. Lovely ball for Pella. Onside, 1 0. Blue fast shot. Oh my word. It's he ran around a bit like Bambi on ice. It was very, very embarrassing to watch. And now, and now, now. Your, host, your host, Matt Markstone. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast and newsletter dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans and available right here on SouthamptonDelivery.com. My name is Matt Markstone. I am the host of the show. And no matter where you are, no matter how you may be listening, whether this is your first time or you've been here before, thanks for making the show part of your day. I hope you enjoy it. And I hope that no matter where you are, you're staying alert, uh, whether your lockdown is being eased, whether restrictions are being removed, or whether things are just staying the same as they have been for the last six or seven or eight weeks, whatever it is. Thanks for being here. Um, Hopefully you enjoy the show. This week on the show, I'm joined by Graham Kopp, who lives on the East Coast of the United States, but is formerly of the Isle of Wight. And uh, it was great to just talk with Graham about football in general and not really discuss the current ongoings with the coronavirus or the potential for return or what that's going to look like. There was none of that. It was just talking about football, talking about the memories that he has made over his time supporting Saints, uh, and in turn, some of the shared memories that we have uh, from watching Saints around uh, some of the same time. And of course, he's been watching football uh, uh, slightly longer than I have. We'll, we'll just say that. But if you'd like to get in touch with Graham, you can do that by sending me an email at southhamptondelivery at gmail.com, and I will forward that on to Graham since he's not on any social media, doesn't use any social media, but um, he's a longtime listener of the show, a big supporter of the show and something that I truly appreciate. And we got to talking and uh, you know, he wound up on the show and um, I hope that he enjoyed being on the show as much as I enjoyed having him on. Uh, But we'll basically walk through the differences between uh, football, watching football as a fan in in the UK and growing up with all of that on the Isle of Wight and then moving over here and kind of what, how, how things have changed since he's been in the United States. And we took some listener questions as well. So thank you once again for sending those in, but uh, I won't hold you anymore here. We'll just get straight to it. So this is Graham Kopp. Uh, He now lives on the East coast of the United States, originally from the Isle of Wight. Um, I learned some things about Isle of Wight attractions towards the end of the show. So uh, enjoy that. And once again, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. We'd like to welcome Graham Kopp to the podcast. Graham is a Saints fan now living on the East Coast of the United States, but originally from the Isle of Wight. Uh, Graham, it's been nice to catch up with you and talk with you uh, the past uh, little while and in and, and the past couple of weeks. And uh, welcome to the show, and thanks for taking some time to to share uh, you know, your Saints uh, kind of memories and history and, and everything else with me. Thanks, Matt. It's great to be here. Look forward to telling you a few stories. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're talking on Sunday morning and it's kind of, you know, I'm having my coffee. You've, we've discussed you haven't converted to, to coffee since moving over here. Uh, you're still a, an English breakfast tea uh, man or person or whatever you want to you want to say. But um, 
So I guess what I want to start with is just what's your first football memory ever uh, coming from the Isle of Wight? I think my first football memory would be um, kicking a ball around with my older brother in the back garden. That was probably my first memory before seeing it on television or anything like that. He was four years older than me, and um, you know, we spent many hours, happy hours, kicking a ball around out in the back garden or yard, as you call it. Did he? Uh, I'm a I'm a brother that's five years older than mine, and I would always my brother would have to either you know just just throw me the ball so I can hit it, or you know stand between the goalposts so I can I can try to score or whatever. Did did you have to assume that role for your brother as well? Were you stuck between the 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 sweaters or the jumpers or whatever you want to call them, just playing goalie for him to try to score? No, not always. I think having him four years older than me, I was always very competitive and I wanted to keep up with him and it made me a better player because he was that much older and taller and stronger than me. And so I definitely improved. I do give him some credit for that, definitely. All right, all right. Well, I guess he's a better brother than I was. Um, <laughs> um so, I mean, from kicking the ball around, I mean, to to being a Saints fan, was was your family big into football and, and was your family kind of Saints fans? Because I know uh, the little I know about the Isle of Wight is that you can either be you know, a fan of one of two teams. There's only really two choices, I think, if you're going to go uh, watch football. So luckily you, you chose the correct side. Um, but, but was your family really into Saints or was it just kind of uh, luck, I guess, that you chose Saints and not the, the other guys? No, my father was a golfer. He wasn't really big time into football, um, but my brother loved the football, and he actually followed Southampton. And as a kid, because I knew no better, I actually considered myself a Leeds United fan. Um, they were one of the big teams in the um, sort of early 70s, and I modeled myself on a their Scottish midfield guy called Billy Bremner and so I pretended to be Billy Bremner and I even had the white uh, Leeds United shirt and shorts and everything um, and then when I got to the age I think of 12 or no 13 when I was in 1975 and I want to quickly add here this was the year before they won the cup <laughs> so I wasn't jumping on the uh, bandwagon there I had the sense to uh, switch allegiances big time from Leeds to um, Southampton, and as you say, it was the choice of the blue of Pompey or the red and white of Saints, and whether I was swayed by my brother or what it was, I'm not sure. Um, I think one reason was I was taken to my very first professional match in 1970. I was only eight years old. It was a match against Arsenal, and um, it was a crowd of over a thousand there. I think Saints ended up losing 2-1, but just the whole memory of that game sort of probably swayed me in the direction of the red and white rather than the other team. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I'm glad that your relationship with your brother was, was good enough. Cause if it would have been, there would have been a rivalry there. Uh, it could have been a real rivalry and then we wouldn't be having this conversation. So, um, yeah, my brother and I don't support any of the same teams, which is just, I guess how it, how it works. And we don't support any of the same teams our dad supports either. So it's just, everybody's all over the place. Um, I, and I remember if I, Correct. Leeds lost a, a cup final in the in seventy three, maybe. Uh, yes, they to Sunderland. lost to Sunderland. Sunderland, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I I did uh, I watched that game. I don't um whatever. 
not live, obviously. <laughs> no, no, no. No, I can remember that game. There was one very famous save by the Sunderland goalkeeper, Jim Montgomery, that um, sort of was supposed to, on a par with the, the Banks, Gordon Banks save mm-hmm. from the 1970 World Cup, yeah. And then there's always images of the Sunderland manager with a hat on running onto Wembley pitch and they're going crazy because they basically did what Southampton did three years later. Yeah. They beat in the mighty leads and we obviously went on beat Man United. Yeah. Uh, we're going to, we're going to get to that in just a, a second. But um, what, what I wanted to ask about is, is, you know, I, I've kind of, I guess, what's the relationship with Southampton on the Isle of Wight in terms of, of Saints support? Is there, is there a pretty large community of supporters? And is, you know, when you, when you leave uh, the Isle of Wight to go to the Dell or St. Mary's, is there a big group of people that go all at once or is it kind of just people go, um, you know, one at a time, or what? D- describe that for me. Uh, having lived there for so long and supported Saints from from that from that area. But basically, unless you're so-called supporting one of the glamour teams, or you have some connection with one of the bigger teams, and your choice, is, as you say, is you know Saints or Pompey. And yes, there's active um, branches of their supporter clubs on the island. I belong to the Isle of Wight branch of the, the Southampton Supporters Club way back. And the benefit of that was you would get a reduction on the cost of the ferry to get to the match. And they would also organize coaches to the away matches. Um, obviously, you made friends and they would have a, I think they had a um, annual dinner, dance type thing, if I remember rightly. Um, so I don't really, I can't talk about Pompey, but I know um, a similar sort of organization exists for them. I don't know how strong or how many members they've got, but in my case, back when I used to go, um, most people would catch the same ferry to get to the game. Or, I mean, there was a choice of ferries, so not everybody would, some people would show up later than others, but you'd see a good bulk of people, you know, with this, the shirts and the scarves and everything. And, and then obviously coming back, everyone would be on the same boat because you know, the match was over and everybody had walked back to the you know, Catcher Ferry and uh, that's where you know, you'd see the bulk of the Isle of Wight people um, you know, on the ferry itself. Now, I mean, living in America, obviously, watching Saints games is a little bit different. You know, my match day looks like wake up, make coffee, watch game, like that's it. Um, but being from the Isle of Wight, it's probably, I mean, you have travel time, you have other things. So what's a typical match day look like for, for you? Or what did it look like for you when you were kind of living on the Isle of Wight? Like what, you know, in terms of timing and, and everything else, like was it an all day affair or could you just kind of say, hey, I'm going to the game and, and you know, I'll be back by dinner or what, what, what did that look like? No, it did turn into an all day affair, really. Um, I lived in Newport, which is the main town in the middle of the island. And so I would walk to the bus station, I'd catch a bus to Cowles, I would catch the ferry, which would take an hour. Then um, once I'm in Southampton, we would walk to the Dell via a fish and chip shop and have lunch. We're you know, walking along the streets, eating our fish and chips. We'd probably get to the Dell about one o'clock-ish or soon after. Uh, for a three o'clock kickoff on a Saturday, because all the matches were basically played then back in those days. And, um, you know, soak up the atmosphere, read the program. Um, I would normally stand on the Milton Road end, 
occasionally I'd go to the arches, but it was normally in the Milton Road end. And uh, I was game and the verse of the journey to get home. And it, I mean, it was always, I didn't get home until probably 7 o'clock, 7.30, something like that. By the time you walk back to the ferry and you take the ferry, then you get another bus. And so, yeah, it was basically turned into an all-day kind of event, really. But something that I'm sure, you know, you look forward to, I guess, you know, at that point. Oh, you, def- you... Definitely, definitely, yeah. I mean, the evening matches, I didn't go to too many, but I did go to one or two. One that sticks in my mind was um, the semi-final of the 1979 League Cup that was against Leeds United. And they drew the first leg up at Allen Road 2-2, and then they had to bring them back to the Dell. And um, it, it, it was all ticket, obviously, and put, it was, everybody was jammed in really tight, and Saints ended up winning 1-0. And about, I mean... The only issue with it going to a night game was having to make sure you got back to the ferry before the last ferry left. Otherwise, you'd be stranded uh, either to catch the mail boat or first thing in the morning. So you, know, you always have that in the back of your mind. I don't think the ferry companies would have, would have waited for you if they'd been extra time, put it that way. Um, <laughs> but I do remember that thought. I mean... I don't live in a place where you have to worry about kind of public transit or making special accommodations or arrangements for, for things like that. And so whenever we get in a situation where we're, we need to, to be somewhere, I am the, the worst because I'm, I'm rushing around trying to make sure everybody goes. So I would be with this guy like, oh, we have to leave before the end because we got to be there on time. And, and nobody wants to be that person. Um, so I, I guess better, better you having lived through that experience than, than me to try to deal with that because I'm not, uh, not built for that. Um, yeah, one other thing that just come into my mind, I remember in 1976 that um, Southampton came over and brought the FA Cup with them and they played a friendly against Newport and, uh, and about 5,000 people showed up to, to see that game and to see the FA Cup. So I do remember that. Okay. And that was, I mean, obviously uh, kind of the, in the end of the summer, like their preseason type, type thing. After yeah. That. Yeah. It would have been. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, I mean, so it sounds like even though being on the Isle of Wight, I mean, it is pretty close, but I didn't realize the ferry takes or uh, took a, an entire hour to get. Well, that's the longest journey, and that's a car ferry, which was cheaper than to go by hydrofoil. I mean, you could go on the more expensive method and be there in a third of the time, but I didn't have a lot of money at the time, so that was how I traveled. Okay. Well, I mean, that makes sense to me. Um, you know, and yeah. just enjoy enjoy the time, I guess. Right. Um, so, I mean, you, you were there and kind of supporting saints, uh, for, a, for a long time before you moved over to the United States. And I, I guess just for you, I guess, what are some of those moments that stand out to you as being, uh, just kind of extra special or maybe kind of, um, really pivotal in your, in your time as a, as a saint supporter? I think top of the list would have to be the 1979 league cup final against Nottingham Forest, even though we lost three, two. Um, it was magical to be in a crowd of 100,000 people at Wembley Stadium with, I don't know, probably 40,000 Saints fans. And um, it was a great game in itself. Um, 3-2 was the final score. And Nottingham Forest were huge at the time. You know, they had Clough as their manager and you know, a lot of big names playing for them. Um, but even, like I said, even though we lost, it was just a wonderful day out. Be surrounded by Saints fans, and the game itself was really exciting. Um, there was no 
no trouble, no hooliganism or anything like that. And again, obviously it took all day. Um, so yeah, that would definitely be probably the top of my list. I mean, it would have obviously been even nicer if they'd won, but they didn't. Um, but it's still a, a very fond memory I have. But together with that, another away trip to Luton's town, Luton's ground at the time. I'm not sure what it looks like nowadays, but it was a real dump. I mean, um, very old and small. And I think they had a, a capacity of like 14,000 and literally eight or 9,000 of those were Saints fans on that given day. And it, it, we won the match, I think, maybe if I, my memory serves me right, it, somebody like Ted McDougall scored or somebody. And it was just a great day again because you're surrounded by Saints fans. It was like Southampton had taken over the whole town of Luton. And um, we won, which made it even more important. Um, one less happier time was um, we went to Bristol Rovers in a cup match, FA Cup match, and Saints lost. But worse than that, some of the idiots had invaded the pitch in a vain attempt to get the match um, abandoned. Uh, so that wasn't such a great memory. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'd say those... Oh, one other time was going to Highbury to see Saints lose to a last-minute goal to Arsenal, which was pretty typical back in those days. Yeah. And I was with a friend. We were walking back to the coach, and um, we got surrounded by some Arsenal hooligans, and they got us on the floor and laid the boot in and took our uh, scarves and stuff. So um, never forgiven Arsenal after that. I have a long memory when something like that happens to you. I mean, I wasn't badly hurt or anything, but it's just the shock of it and no need for that. I mean, they, I don't classify them as Arsenal fans. They were just Arsenal morons, really. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, I guess I don't, in my mind, looking at the, the, I guess the area of London that Arsenal occupy now, you wouldn't associate that with being, uh, with being that. But I guess different time for football um, at, at that point, right? Definitely, definitely. I mean, it's a lot, lot safer these days. Uh, and I did witness some trouble. I mean, I was never involved in any, but I definitely saw some. But it was very easy to steer clear of it. Um, and there's always idiots in each set of so-called supporters that would just punch up, and they did, and I did see some of that. I mean, a lot of it's just friendly banter, though, which is fun, you know. Friendly taunting each other and that type of thing. I don't see much wrong in that. It was added to the atmosphere, and it was. Um, but yeah, I did see a little bit of trouble here and there during matches. I, I guess uh, the thing I'd like to just kind of point out is, you know, having moved over to the United States, did you was there a perception of of English football that was maybe I, I guess wrong that people over here had because I I know that. Um, even, you know, I watch as much as I do, but my idea of going to a place, um, you know, like West Ham or anything like that, like it, it comes, if I think about Leeds, I think about, um, you know, some, some of the, the supporters and I, I think about Millwall and things like that. I, I think, uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't strike me as a place that I'd want to take my family. Um, but do people have those kind of misconceptions maybe the, about, about English football or do you think that they're, they're, that most of the assumptions are correct? Um, I think when I first came over here, probably they did have the reputation of hooliganism and that type of thing. You know, there were one or two obviously high 
level incidents that happened you know, with Heisel and um, other, when, when England fans go abroad, they, cause may, they have caused mayhem in the past. So that would obviously tarnish the whole nation. Um, but not, I mean, when I, the people I met over here, they didn't really discuss that with me. They didn't say that wasn't the first thing that, um, you know, they would talk to me about. They'd, they'd know about Manchester United and um, that would be about it. Their knowledge of <laughs> football was not very um, good, to be honest. Um, and, I mean, it partly it wasn't their fault because it wasn't exposed the same way as it is these days. We might talk about later, but yeah. when I first came here, it was a real job. There was zero coverage on television. I think they showed highlights from a German Bundesliga game, maybe, um, but there was nothing from England. And the thing that actually got me into the internet was the ability to look at league tables and see scores, and that was sort of what piqued my interest in learning how to use the internet purely from a football point of view. Up until that point, I would literally have a short band radio that I could tune in on a Saturday afternoon, and um, wherever I was, I would take this radio, a huge aerial, and uh, listen to the BBC World Service. They had an afternoon hour show, and they would have half a half, and half a half of commentary on one of the top games, and then they would have the classified results at the end of that, and that was how I was finding out um, you know what the score was, basically. So you get you get twenty two and a half minutes of football coverage a week. Exactly, exactly. That was it. And obviously, they rarely picked Southampton because you know obviously they weren't one of the big teams. Well, yeah. Still aren't, but um, no. But they, at least they would call out the whole um, classified results. So at least I would learn the score. I I can remember riding with my dad. My dad was a truck driver and riding in the truck, and you know the he'd be listening for the baseball scores or whatever. And if you were to make the unfortunate mistake of deciding to talk to him at that point, uh, and so he missed the score, there was be, there was hell to pay for that. Um, but, <laughs> but, and of course we live in an area where, where we, we, we get the scores more than once a day. So he would, you know, eventually get it, but he would never like to, he wanted to listen to the game when they were playing on the East coast, especially. Um, but anyway, um, but I guess, it's a pretty good uh, transition. I mean, when what year did you move over to the United States? I came in 1995. In fact, a week on, a week tomorrow is my 25th anniversary. Of oh. well, yeah. well, happy anniversary of uh, arriving Thank in the you. U.S. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so I guess at that point, yeah, I mean, 1995, internet not not a thing really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the internet was definitely in its infancy. And my bro- my father-in-law had a computer, and um, I think that's how I sort of was introduced to it. Okay. The, the ability to look up all this information that was vital to me, obviously. Um, and yeah, that was definitely quite interested in the internet. Did you, when you first got here, did you feel like really disconnected with the team? Did you kind of lose touch with Southampton, or or were you able to kind of, you know, because of the internet and because of the shortwave radio, keep your interest in, in, in the team and, and stay up with what's, what was going on? Um, I was able to catch the scores, but I, um, the, the websites, you know, the ugly inside and even the Southampton website and others, I don't think, I mean, they might have existed, but I wasn't aware of them and I wasn't reading them, or they might not even have been online yet. I don't know. I can't remember. 
but yeah, so my knowledge of what was going on with transfers and injuries and that type of thing was basically non-existent. You know, when I would call home, I would talk to my brother-in-law or somebody who maybe been to a match, and they would you know, give me an update. But no, my knowledge was pretty limited, to be honest. All right, all right. Um, and I, I guess when you got here, I mean, coverage as you, as you mentioned, kind of just the big teams only, uh, TV stuff. I don't think highlights were really shown except for maybe a Bundesliga match or two. And I think maybe that was even, um, a little bit later, but, um, I guess not having that constant contact, did it make you kind of, I mean, I guess you used to look forward to, to getting on the ferry and going across and getting to the match. Now were you kind of looking forward every Saturday to just that, that those 22 and a half minutes and just getting the, the update on the team? Um, yeah, I definitely missed it. And it sort of, it, if you can't have something, you want it even more type of thing. I guess that applies to lots of things in life. And so I was really yearning for the information, you know, about what was going on and um, which players were leaving, which players were coming in and scores and, you know, the whole um, shebang of following a, a football team, really. Yeah, I definitely missed that. Um, and then... Um, I don't know how long ago it was, but um, Fox Sports started, well, they won the contract, I guess, to show the Premier League. And um, so I would you know, definitely watch quite a lot of their matches. And then, um, as you know, you know, they lost the contract. And now NBC, I think, you know, it's hard to fault their coverage, really, I, I think. And it's wonderful. I can watch every single match, home and away, league match. And then cup matches, most of those are on ESPN. So it's, you know, I literally don't really miss a match, which is much more than if I was living in England itself. So I feel pretty spoiled, really. Yeah, yeah. And, and the coverage in the United States, I think, has undergone a huge change from even just, you know, seven or eight years ago to now, maybe 10 years ago to now. Um, I think a lot of times about my own kind of relationship with it, where if, Southampton had a, had have gone through that promotion kind of feel good story um, five years earlier than than we did. Uh, you know the the coverage may not have picked that up, and that wouldn't be part of uh, kind of the romance of of supporting the team. You know, and that would be that would be something that would be lost to a, a lot of American fans who have come to it um, a little bit later. And and as you mentioned, um, the coverage in the United States has has grown uh, dramatically, and and. NBC, uh, I think, you know, we talked before, uh, we both appreciate the, the level of analysis that they provide, the level of coverage that they provide, um, and kind of the constant, um, you know, just the, the being able to be constantly engaged with the team if you want to be because of the things. Uh, my one complaint was that they put on uh, the Southampton documentary, The Southampton Way, um, Saturday morning uh, at 6 a.m. your time, so 3 a.m. my time. I did not get up for that. Uh, that's, that's too early. Well, that's what a recorder is for. <laughs> yeah, but we've gone uh, we've gone cheap cheap TV, so no, uh, you know, no no recorder, uh, only. Uh, but I think they left it on replay, so I'll have to I'll have to catch it again. I've seen it. Have you seen that? Uh, by the way, yes, I have. Yeah, I I, I kept it on um, the DVR for a long time. Actually, uh, I haven't seen it in a while, but yeah, it's it, well it was well written, and well done. I thought enjoyed it yeah um raj bennett is one of the guys who who he hosts the guy who hosts it but he also does a, a show called men and blazers and he's quite he's quite funny um big everton fan um but uh a lot of 
I think for me, that was one of the shows that I was exposed to early on in terms of, of, of talking about football and, and kind of, it was lighthearted enough to kind of welcome you in if you weren't a, uh, a you know, didn't know all the, even know all the rules or anything else. And now um, I don't listen to it as much anymore because I have other things that I, I enjoy because I like the rules and I like, uh, unlike most people, I guess, hearing other people's opinions on, on VAR and everything else. So I don't, I don't listen as much, but anyway. Um, so let's, I, I guess, talk about um, just like a match day for you now. Like what, uh, no more fairy, no more any of this. You know, on a match day, what do you do? What do you do now? Um, well, if I'm able to watch the match live, um, I'll probably get the aforementioned strong mug of hot English breakfast tea by my side and settle down and either watch the TV coverage or if it's one of the matches that's shown on the um, NBC app, I'll watch it on the iPad. Um, and I'll normally don my Saint shirt and really get into it and turn my phone off and um, probably find myself cursing at the referee or the opponents or, um, you know, jumping out of my sheet of my... Of my um, chair if they score or, you know, I mean, it definitely affects the rest of my weekend, whether it's a good result or a bad result or indifferent result. You know, the bad results tend to be more affecting of me. I mean, they can really put me in a bit of a bad mood, to be honest, uh, you know, especially if it's an important game. You know, we've had some, a lot of important games over the last two or three years with the relegation battles. And, um, you know, I mean, I, I even sat through the 9-0 debacle right to the end. I don't know why I did, but I did. But if my job makes it impossible for me to watch it live, then I'll make sure I turn off all the notifications on my phone so I don't know the score. My family are under strict um, rule, rules not to let me know what the score is in advance so that I can sit down and watch it at a time convenient to me and not know the score. And then I, you know, I, treat, I treat it the same as watching it live then because I, you know, I've got no idea what's going to happen and what the score is going to be or anything. So it's the same sort of routine, really. Yeah, the 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 silencing of notifications and not and not knowing the score when you sit down and watch it makes the game a lot different. Because even if you just know the final score, um, there have been matches where you know somebody scores in the first two minutes, and I know it's a one nil, and then it's just like, well, am I going to watch eighty seven minutes of nothing? Um, and the answer is yes, but you don't watch it with the same level of scrutiny and excitement that you would if if you didn't know. Uh, the the final score. So uh, I can relate to that uh, 100%. Um, my students are r- notorious for, uh, there's, there's always a couple who, because I say not to, they want to they tell me the score. And the 9-0, they were all about letting me know every time Leicester City scored again and again and again. But it's okay. They, they're, they're teenagers and that's what they do. Um, I, I guess living where you live, have you... I mean, is there the opportunity to go down to a, a, a pub and, and watch the game? Because East Coast, you know, you can potentially get to the pub, I guess, at 10, 10 a.m. And, and have, that's an acceptable meeting time, I guess. 7 a.m. on our side where you got to leave your house at 6 or 6.30 to get down there. Um, places don't like to let you in and drink that early. It doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't go well the rest of the day if you start that early, I don't think. Yeah, the 10 o'clock. Uh, my time kickoff matches. I haven't found any places that are open at that time. They're normally open at 11, so you'd have to go for the second half. 
um, back uh, before NBC had the coverage. Um, I can remember going to the 2003 um, FA Cup final against Arsenal. But I drove and then took the metro down into DC to a sports bar, and um, there were a few Saints fans there and a lot of Arsenal fans there, and I think that was quite fun to watch that, even though we lost. Um, and I have gotten together with one or two guys that I met that follow Saints to watch games, but haven't done that in a while. I mean, obviously Saints are not a glamour t- glamour team, but. I do have a number of American friends that will sit down and watch it with me, and they appreciate it. So I've converted a quite a lot of people into becoming followers of Saints, definitely, since living over here. Yeah. The way I do that often is to get them to look at a Matt Letizia YouTube compilation of his best goals, and that will often uh, convert them or um, make them appreciate you know, the red and white when they see someone doing what he was able to do with a ball. Yeah, yeah, and you just have to... Uh... I guess just keep that that link copied in your phone so you can just share it uh, whenever exactly, you need. Exactly. I, I don't get sick of watching those goals. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they will make you smile. And then after the match, then I'll either listen to some of the phone-ins about the matches or I'll definitely watch the um, interviews with the fans that um, the Ugly Insight does to get their take on the match. And I've, I've seen the whole match too, so I mean they've seen it live and I've seen it on the TV, but it's interesting to see and to listen to their take on some of the matches too. Yeah, yeah. I always, um, I didn't realize how much I rely on the TV coverage and just the way things work until I went to a match live and then you know watching and sitting next to Freddie from the Ugly Inside and just kind of listening to him kind of talk about the match. It's it's a much different perspective than being at home on the TV where you get all of the replays and you kind of have this. You know, I come out of most matches with a fairly certain idea of, of what's happened and whether it was right or wrong. It, it's really impressive because some of the fans I talked to after the matches have seen it one time and they're, they still have this thing. And it's, uh, I, I appreciate that very much because I'm, I'm spoiled. And like you said, you know, we get to watch uh, as many replays in, in all the matches and I can go back and watch a game a second time if I really, really want to. Um, I, I guess just like to ask about, you know, just, just football in general, when you got here to the United States, how big of a thing was just people playing football? Was it, uh, and has it grown since you've, since you've been here? And what, I guess, what have you noticed about, about that aspect of just football, football in general, not just the Premier League? Um, I was actually surprised how big it was here in terms of Bruce grassroots level, in terms of children playing, um, I can remember kicking a ball around with a couple of girls on a local park, and um, I was blown away by their skills with the ball, their keepy-uppies, and just their dribbling skills and shooting skills. And Because you know, I grew up at a time when girls were not given that opportunity to play at all in England. I think it's better now. It's not as good as it is here. But, uh, so it really did. And then I did some refereeing when I first came to this country, and I qualified as a referee, and I refereed a number of girls' and boys' matches. And uh, again, it, it did surprisingly uh, pleasantly how good some of these kids were. Um, in my main memory of that was I didn't have any issues with red cards or yellow cards or anything like that. It was the coaches and the parents giving me abuse for decisions that they obviously didn't agree with. Um, you know, I didn't care which team won, and I was just 
calling it as I saw fit, but some of these parents and coaches would, you know, they shouldn't really have been saying what they were saying in front of their kids anyway. But anyway, that's a, another story. Yeah, but they sort of kept interest in the game and kept me fit and it was a bit of pocket money on a weekend. And, um, yeah, I enjoyed it really looking back on it. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that at least in California, it's, football, soccer is very popular, but it's, I think the difference in England is, you know, you're talking about playing in your garden with your brother, kind of, you know, that's what people are doing. You're playing in the street, you're playing in the park, you're doing all of this stuff. And I think if you look at, especially Southern California, it's not, that's not happening as much. It's more club teams, organized, um, develop technical skills and, and kind of do that type of thing. Whereas um, I think still places around the world, people are just playing just to have fun. And here it becomes a, a thing you have to play on, on a club team and then on a school team and then in college and, and all that stuff. I think it's a little bit uh, a different approach, I guess. The other big difference is um, at children's level, it's immense. It's very well organized. The standards are pretty high the, um, and it's very well organized and, you know, but once they reach that sort of age of 18 or plus, the number of opportunities for them to play really plummets. Whereas back in England, especially when I was around, I presume it's the same now, but you know, I left school at 18 and then I played for, even before I left school, I played for men's teams on a Saturday and a Sunday. And you know, there was a whole range of clubs I could have joined and played for. Whereas here, I mean, I think there are opportunities, but they're far and few between. Um, so it tends to drop off hugely once the kids reach the age of 18. Either the opportunity's not there or they've lost interest or I don't quite know what, but there isn't the same infrastructure and um, you know, the same number of adult leagues that you can play in. I think that's a huge difference. I mean, you live, living in the East Coast and living kind of near Washington, D.C. and Baltimore, Saints obviously came over a few seasons ago. I think it was, I think they came over with Claude Puel. Is that correct? That is correct. I actually um, prepared a little welcome in French for him when he, when he was there. So I did say a few words to him in French, just welcoming him to uh, Southampton. It was so, yeah, was yeah, it yeah, a, uh, how did he respond? He smiled. He yeah. smiled. He smiled. I mean, he, it, was a, it was a nice afternoon. I mean, it, it wasn't really widely advertised. I think it was done through a Facebook page of Saints supporters over here. It wasn't really generally open to the public, but there were probably hundred people there, I would say, um, roughly. And we got to see um, you know, them doing various training drills on the field. Um, it was pretty hot, um, as it often is, obviously, in that time of year. But at the end, it was really nice. They all took their time to come over to the fans and have photographs taken and autographs taken and chat and... Yeah, it was, it was very nicely done, and they you know, gave away some freebies, promotional stuff. I mean, not all the big stars were present that day because I think it was I think it was the same time as the last Euros. So it must have been four years ago. Um, I think it was four years ago. And um, you know, like you say, they had a tie-up commercially with Under Armour, who have their headquarters in Baltimore. I was hoping that they would come over every year and at least play a friendly. Right. Pre-season friendly against uh, DC United or something, but that's, I don't think they've ever been back. Um, so fingers crossed on that. That'll still happen one day, but I don't know. Yeah, well, I don't know if it will. Just I'm thinking about 
people we've had issues getting kits out to people you know uh early and, and things like that and uh, it seems like a lot of fans are not happy with the way that the shirts look and um i'm not going to judge i i like under armor i was very excited that we had an under armor sponsor because i thought once again that it would be you know american company not as well known in terms of um you know sponsorship in terms of uh, of professional football and to be honest when uh spurs had under armor shirts i always really liked them i thought they did a really good job um i thought they looked very very clean and very neat um i wouldn't say ours look as as good as as some of this maybe they could but anyway uh we'll, we'll move on from that um but i mean when you had the chance to meet the team i mean did anybody stand out to you as being kind of you know especially funny or nice or 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 anything or is anybody kind of you know oh i have to do this and or no, what was that, no, what was they that all like? seemed, they all seemed in a good mood they'd obviously had a good training session and um they were all i don't whether they liked this every time or whether it was the nice warm weather making them feel good or what it was but no, they were all um, very friendly, smiles, and would chat with you, answer questions, and sign autographs, have photographs taken. Um, I remember Charlie Austin was there, and he was laughing around, having fun, doing something. I can't remember exactly what. But you could tell he was like the joker of the pack. Um, and so, yeah, so it was just a very nice, nicely well done um event really i'm really glad i made the effort to trek over there and you know see them up close and personal and um yeah it was, i really enjoyed it i mean it was also good to meet other people that um, obviously follow saints and have a history with them like me and uh, i did actually hook up with a couple of the guys afterwards to watch matches with which was nice i i would say that most of the people you met that were there obviously fans of southampton because they wouldn't be there otherwise um were a lot of them like you that had come over from, from England or were a lot of them kind of born in America and they just happened to support Saints? I obviously didn't get to speak to all of them, but I would say it was about 50-50. A lot of people were expats that had some connection with Southampton and others were chosen Southampton for some reason. Um, so, yeah, I would say it was a, a mishmash of both types of fan, really. It, does it surprise you when you meet people um, or talk to people who are not from Southampton who have no connection to... Yeah, I mean, even, even you. I mean, why did you pick Southampton out of all the possible teams? I mean, we're not a glamour team. We've hardly won anything. And yet, and we're a little provincial team. I, I don't want to use the word little, but smaller provincial team in the south of England. And there you are over in sunny California choosing to follow Southampton and, and produce this weekly podcast. It, it sort of blows my mind, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there there was a lot of kind of things that went into it, but uh, and and I I may have I actually I know I've talked about it at least once, but um, you know, basically I, I didn't like color blue, so half the teams were out, so the other guys were never going to be a, a, a possibility. Um, and then from there it went back to the academy system and, and kind of those things, and and that NBC kind of documentary. I was already kind of watching the team at that point, but that story that 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 movement of people through the academy and into the first team that really stuck with me. Um, and then kind of learning more and more about the city. Um, and to be honest, because I'm from sunny California, the weather is important. And, uh, if you, one of the things you look up is if you look up on, on Wikipedia, just Southampton, it says it has, it's among the cities with the most sunny days in all of England, which is, uh, is gonna, is gonna draw me in. 
and the fact that I could fly from LA to London directly and then get the train down, that, that seemed easy enough. Um, so all of those things kind of, kind of made it, uh, there. I didn't want to pick some team where I was going to have to go, you know, uh, LA to London to, to like Manchester and then to the Midlands or something like that. I didn't want to have to do all of that. Um, and, uh, luckily my family was able to, to, I can drag them along to London. We can do all the stuff and then we can still take the train down and, you know, what was pretty, pretty easy to, to get that done, um, with some help from some locals, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, we, we have some listener questions if, if you're, if you're up for, for that sort of thing. Sure. Um, I, I guess for you now living near DC, I guess, do you watch MLS at all? Is that a, is that a thing that you find yourself kind of watching? No, I don't actually. I mean, there's enough English football for me to watch. I probably watch too much of that, so I don't have time for MLS. I mean, I have seen DC United play a couple of times when they play Newcastle and Tottenham in preseason friendlies. Uh, it's quite funny when they played Newcastle. I showed up in my Southampton shirt. So I think some of them, some of them thought I was a Sunderland fan from a distance, you know, wearing red and white. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, it was just. They actually beat both those teams, DC United did, which was, I mean, it was obviously pre-season for the English teams, but um, yeah. DC United did a team back then. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they, I mean, they recently had, uh, you know, Mr. Rooney playing, uh, and they got into the new stadium now, because they used to play at RFK, which is an absolute dumpster fire of a stadium um, for many reasons. Um I can remember playing video games, baseball video games back when I was in high school. And, and whenever you had to play the Washington Nationals at RFK, it was really, really not, not a fun game to play because it was just awful, but um, off topic. Uh, so, I, I mean, Josh Sims obviously plays on the East Coast. And, and I think sometimes on the West Coast, we have three states that make up the entire country. So things are quite far away. I think people tend to think that uh, on the East Coast, everything's much closer together and states are smaller. But um, you're not that close to New York. You're, you're quite far away, but um, do you think that Josh Sims has any sort of a future at Southampton or have you been able to, to see or hear anything of, of him play at uh, in New York or actually New Jersey, but uh, New York? I haven't seen any of his action since he's been playing over here. I mean, I would love to see him go back to Southampton. I mean, I think we, it all always warms your heart when you see a local, I think I presume he's local or at least an academy lad come through the system and end up in the first team like so many have had over the years. So, I mean, from what I've seen of him briefly, he seems to have the pace and the, the quality, but for some reason, I guess Ralph doesn't see him as a, you know, at the moment at least. I mean, maybe he's still got a future. I, I don't know, I have no idea, but I'd love to see another um, lad come through the academy like um, previous ones have in the past. So, yeah, I but I'm not a judge of his current form or um, how well or badly he's done in the states. I, I can't really judge, to be honest. Well, we can only we can only hope that he'll get uh, you know ample opportunity. And I think every every time that I've gone or planned to go see him play, it hasn't worked out. He wasn't on the team when they came out yet. When they came out, um, he didn't travel with the team when they came to LA the beginning of this uh, school year. Uh, so back in August. Um, obviously the, the thing that was in Chicago where their Saints fans were supposed to show up and watch the nine thirty or the, you know, the eleven thirty game, and then go to go watch Josh Sims play against the Chicago fire after that, that, that didn't happen either for coronavirus reasons. So, 
Uh, maybe one of these days, one of us will actually see Josh Sims play for South, for, for, for New York and then also hopefully for, for Southampton in the future. So that, was, that question came from Southampton News Now on, on Instagram. Uh, and uh, Kevin McGee, one of the patrons, asked a question. He says, do you miss Black Gang? Is it Chine? Chine, yeah. China? Chine. Chine. Uh, I, so he says his kids love it. I don't know what he's talking about. Um, can you explain? Yes, it's uh, a, a holiday attraction on the Isle of Wight on the south coast of the island. Um, it's got um, life-size dinosaurs there, full of funny mirrors, and a whole range of other attractions that kids love. So my, I have fond memories of it as a kid. Um, a lot of the cliff there has fallen away into the sea, so they've had to move a lot of the stuff, I think. <laughs> um, but it's, it's still a popular attraction, and, um, but I don't miss it. I wouldn't choose to go there unless I was taking a bunch of kids there, which I have done in the past. But no, I wouldn't choose to go there for my own enjoyment. Okay. That way. So not, not something that I... I mean, my kids are 9 and 14. If we go... Uh, but they would probably still enjoy it. Yeah, they would enjoy okay. it. All right. Yeah. Now we've gone from... Uh, 11 hour plane flight, one hour on the train, one hour on the ferry, <laughs> go to where the, go to where it's falling into the ocean and we've won. Um, so thanks to Kevin for, for asking that. I appreciate that. Um, Stephen Brandt, another one. Uh, and I should say that Stephen Brandt, uh, his book is about to come out on, on Boca juniors, uh, longtime, uh, friend of the show, longtime friend, um, first book. So congratulations to Stephen on, on getting that published and, and done. Um, but his question, he, he likes to joke around, especially with, uh, we have Arsenal supporting friends, but, um, I'm going to, I'm going to rephrase this question a little bit and say, you know, we talked about Southampton not being one of the glamor teams, but what, what, what do you think keeps Southampton from drawing as big of a crowd or as big of a following as teams like Arsenal or Manchester United or something like that? And, and I, I guess I'm asking that just you having been in the United States and seen some people come to the team, but what maybe keeps more people from from becoming fans of the, of the team and uh, when you don't maybe have the connection to, to Southampton uh, as a city? Well, I think it's the question is referring to why that's the case in England. And I think it's obviously catchment area. Um, you know, London is a huge city. I know there's a number of clubs to choose from. And um, you know, stadium size is another factor. I mean, Saints can hold just over 32,000. I think the Emirates can hold 60-odd thousand. Um, and then obviously the success of the club attracts a lot of people too. So Arsenal have won the league and cup and you know European competitions, and Saints have a single FA Cup to their name. So that's not going to be a big draw for a lot of people. Um, so I think it's even more remarkable why you chose <laughs> Southampton to be on. But uh, um, I mean, in my case, obviously I have strong connection with the area um, and I'm always doing my bit to promote Southampton um, you know, and meet new people or you know, whoever I meet, I'm always talking about them and um, doing my bit. To, people always, one of the questions they ask me, oh, how are Saints doing? Type of thing. Yeah. So, I've, I've found that the jersey or the shirt um, is a conversation piece when you wear it because people if they recognize it as a, as a football kit, then they immediately, 
you know, they, they have questions and, and that is usually pretty fun. And, and I would say that, that most people now at school and at work and just uh, elsewhere around, around town, they know that I'm a Southampton fan and they will ask about the team. Whereas beforehand there was never, they were never going to, those, those words would not have come out of their mouth, you know? Do they ask you about being a virgin? Uh, quite often. <laughs> they think it's hilarious because, uh, you know, the kids are, are great. Um, and I, I have to watch my responses to that. Um, I will, I will be, you know, it's, it, it's a lot of fun, but I can't probably, I can't put it on record of how some of those conversations go. Um, anyway, uh, last question here from, from Luke Millard, another one of the patrons. Uh, he says, what's your favorite crossing onto the mainland? And I, I always thought there was only maybe one because the other one goes the opposite way, but, uh, you have a, you have an answer to that question. Does that make more sense to you than it does to me? Yes, it's actually quite a choice, and I thought about this question, and I've definitely decided it's going to be Cowles to Southampton purely because of all the memories it evokes of me during that journey that I talked about earlier. Um, you know, on the car ferry, it takes an hour, so plenty of time to have a drink, you know, you know eat a sandwich and stuff, and just enjoy the journey across. Um, you get to see lots of yachts and cruise liners and um, merchant shipping and stuff. And also you, you sail right past a, I don't, I don't know whether it's still there or not, but it's a big aircraft hangar type place called Calshot. And it's where I learned to ski. So I have memories of that oh. particular weekend. So yeah, I mean, there are other alternatives of getting across to the um, mainland, either to Portsmouth or to the New Forest, in a place called um, uh, Lymington, but no, I think my definitely my favorite way of crossing over would be from Cowes to Southampton, definitely. Well, and I think for people that live in the area, they will be familiar with that, um, and it will kind of I, I, hopefully it paints a picture in their head of, of of things that they remember from that crossing or or just doing that. And I know that a lot of fans do come from the Isle of Wight. Um, it always surprises me how how often. Um, you know, I hear of people like, like you and uh, and other fans that are, that I've met over the years that have that have come from from the island. So, um, yeah, it's a lot of dedication for for you guys getting over there, getting to a match. A lot of it, the the trip is a lot longer than it is from my bedroom to my couch where I watch most of the matches. So, um, <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, and I, I guess is there anything else that uh, you'd like to? To kind of talk about before before we wrap it up the um johnston paint trophy oh yeah, yeah. let's let's do that um because you were living here obviously at the time yeah but you made it you saw us win a uh, cup final for once i did i did and it took a lot of effort i mean I, I thought it would be relatively easy to get a ticket because there were so many tickets available and wembley stadium is such a big stadium but um they didn't sell every ticket. There were huge areas in the stadium that were empty, which really annoyed me. But um, you know, I tried on eBay. I tried everywhere. All the contacts I got over there, none of them were able to get me a ticket. So I ended up writing to the Southern Evening Echo and including some photographs of me in my Saints shirt and Saints scarf and Saints flags down at prominent D.C. landmarks like the Washington Monument and the FBI building and stuff like that. And I basically told them that I was coming and I needed a ticket. And um, I gave them my father's phone number and they um, printed a big story on the front page with a photograph and um, stuff like that. 
Anyway, the net result was um, I had a number of offers of tickets, including two free tickets by the sponsors, Johnston Paint, by, but by which time I'd already accepted another ticket. So I met the reporter outside Wembley, and he gave me the ticket. I paid for it. But, um, so I managed to get a ticket and be up there with all the other Saints fans on that wonderful day when we managed to beat Carlisle 4-1. And um, that was a great memory. Yeah, yeah. And I guess... Um, one funny story connected with that. I was in Waterloo Station negotiating my way to get to Wembley on a Saturday morning. No, Sunday morning, I think it was. And um, um, you know, I was probably wearing my Saints shirt at this point. And I got chatting with a couple of Saints fans. And one of the guys said to me, oh, you're not really... Um, you don't really live in America. You're just... You know, you, you went on vacation there and you, you know, you made up all the stories just to get a ticket. And that made me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> At some people. Um, yeah, exactly. Know. Oh, well. But I mean, I guess the good news about you getting that ticket is that you were with other Saints fans and not stuck in the, I guess, Club Wembley area where it's a little more yeah, I was, sanitized. I was, I was in with all the Saints fans. In fact, just behind me, I, I actually saw Matt Letizia. He was there. I didn't. I wasn't able to talk to him or anything, but I could see him very close to me. Um, I wouldn't have minded being even in with the Carlisle fans. I just wanted to be there. I mean, I had to be there. Gotta get in the I building. couldn't get a ticket for the 2003 FA Cup, which is understandable. But I thought I could get a ticket for this, and it proved a lot more difficult than I thought. But I, I got it in the end, so that was good. Yeah, and and that was you know, like like you said, one of those situations where there were. I, you know, Carlisle wasn't going to bring that many fans. Saints took everybody and, you know, had had Wembley sold the rest of the tickets. Yeah, no, I mean, it wasn't a sellout. That was a thing. I mean, I think they hold 92,000. And I think that, that that day there was maybe 75,000 or something like that. So there were huge areas where there was not nobody sitting. And I thought, why did they do that? I mean, why didn't they want the place packed? Because I'm sure I wasn't the only Saints fan not able to get a ticket that day. No, no, that's anyway. been, that's been one of those things that people are still upset about. Cause you know, you, you play and everybody wants to win something and you play to get to that point, And then you want, you want to be there when your team does it. And, and sometimes you, you, you don't let it, but yeah, we, things we yeah. can't control, I guess. But, it's amazing. It's 10 years ago now, over 10 years ago. Yeah. It's all, I mean, at some point it'll be as far away as 76 and we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> You know, but yeah. hopefully, hopefully we get back there before then. Is there anything else? Well, a good friend of mine gave me a very nice Christmas present this year, and it's a copy of a framed photograph, large photograph. I have it on my wall, and it's a picture of nineteen, uh, sorry, eighteen eighty-five, the very first match played at the Dell against a team called Brighton United, and they won four-one. And it's a wonderful black and white picture. Um, obviously about 145 years old, about 35 years old now. And um, I, I look at it every day and just think how things have changed and uh, football's changed and life has changed. And it's just, it was a lovely gift. And yeah. um, it's about, you know, I have a bunch of other Saints books that I dip into occasionally. Um, but no, I get to see that picture every day because it's hanging proudly in my living room. It always amazes me when you look back at how how much 
the city and the team and the club have gone through and the, the changes and everything from you know, this, the structure of the club and how it started to now. And, and it's a, you, you look back and you can remember, you know, a different time or at least think about it. you, you know, I, I think maybe uh, reading about it, you draw up a picture in your head of what you think it looks like and whether it was actually like that or not, I don't know, but um, it's a, uh, yeah, I, I think I think about I'm very, very proud of, of, of everything. And, um, you know, I came into football relatively late. The I understand that I'm a product of of, of uh, you know, coverage and placement and everything else. And uh, I'm still happy with it. So uh, I, I hope that uh, you, you've you still enjoy watching the team as much as you do. I'm glad um, and I'm glad that we now have the coverage to keep you uh you know, more in touch. You don't have to rely on, you know, 22 and a half minutes of football every, every week. That's right. <laughs> um, but I just want to say thanks again for coming on the show, Graham. And, and uh, I appreciate uh, your email. I, I didn't mention it before, but um, you know, just it, it doing this show, I, I am spoiled to be able to do it. Um, I am lucky to be able to do it, but still it does take work. And, you know, to get, uh, your email that you sent across just saying, you know, thanks for doing the show and, and everything else that, that meant a lot to me. And then to be able to, to talk with you now and have you on the show, uh, it means even more. So, so thank you for, for your time and thanks for, uh, yeah, all of that, I guess. You're very welcome. Uh, well, once again, I just want to say thank you for, for doing this. And if anybody wants to get in touch with you, they can do that. Just get in touch with me and I'll, I'll forward the stuff on to you. Um, and so if, it, if people live in, in, on the East coast and, uh, you know, want to get together for a, a game that maybe kicks off a little bit later, if we, if we get the televised slot, I guess, you know, the non three, 3 PM kickoff, uh, you know, we, those get a, a special promotion here as well. So, um, maybe we'll, uh, we'll make it work and hopefully, um, we'll have another kind of U S fans get together and, and we'll be able to make it and won't be canceled by coronavirus or something else. And, uh, well, we can all get together and, and support the club together. Sounds good to me. Sounds very good. All right. Well, thank you. And uh, love to have you back on the show at some point, maybe when we have a match to talk about. And uh, we'll, we'll, I'll definitely, we'll be in touch though before, before then. Okay. Thank you, Matt. And that does it for this week's episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope that you've enjoyed it. Special thanks this week goes out to Graham Cop. Thank you, Graham, for taking the time to both listen to the show, to reach out. Thanks for joining me and us to walk us through some of the memories that you have to bring uh, new light, add new details to some of the things that I knew happened in the club's history, but maybe wasn't around to see. Uh, and just most of all, thanks for just talking because that is the biggest part of this for me is just getting in touch with other fans of the team and learning about their experiences and hopefully bringing a smile to somebody's day in a time when, uh, let's face it, we can all use it. If you'd like to get in touch with Graham, you can do that. Just send me an email at southamptondelivery.com and I will forward that email to Graham since he's not on any social media. If you want to get in touch with us on social media, though, you can do that. We're at SFCDELL underscore IVERY on both Twitter and Instagram. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash SFCDelivery. You can get all that and more, including access to the weekly newsletter by visiting southamptondelivery.com, which is the website for the show. The show does have two partner pages. One being the Southampton page. You can find them on Twitter and Instagram at Southampton page on Twitter and at Southampton page one on Instagram. They'll keep you up to date with everything that's going on, whether the Premier League returns on June 1st or not. The logo for the show is done by Matt Beeling of the We Are Southampton page on Instagram. Special thanks to Matt for always supporting the show and being a friend. 
He's doing plenty of good work over there on his Instagram page, so check that out uh, if you are on Instagram. All songs for the show come courtesy of the Free Music Archive at freemusicarchive.org. The intro song is Epic Song by Boxcat Games, and the end of show credits that you're listening to right now is Aim is True by Pottington Bear. If you're really enjoying the show, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you listen, and if you really, really enjoy the show, Patreon is always there for you, uh, where you can get access to extra episodes and things like that, and really just be a part of the community that helps make sure this keeps going each and every week. So uh, that's it for episode 174. We'll be back next week. I look forward to talking to you then. And uh, until next time, remember that together, march on.